This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1. This is The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. You can start to feel bliss while you're vacuuming. I don't know if I've tried that or not. Do I want to try it? What is it? Very complex, very interesting. Flogging, whipping, caning. So there I was in my high heels and my little dress. So it is purely a stigma. Healthy sexual expression with other humans. I went to the local women's health centre and went, I think I'm a lesbian, is there a support group? They don't know quite how to talk about it. It's actually a core skill in relationships. That has always worked for me. My guest today is Kristen Campbell, sex and relationship therapist. She's one of the Society of Australian Sexologists' clinical psychosexual therapists. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Ella. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We're excited to talk today. We're going to talk about perpetual problems in relationships, and this is something that comes up a lot, so I'm really keen to hear your insight. Perhaps the first place to start would be asking, what is a perpetual problem? Perpetual problems are, as the name suggests, in terms of it's a problem that comes up perpetually. In terms of in a relationship, as the relationship starts to evolve and couples have conflict, perpetual problems will usually be issues that are constantly coming up and feel unresolvable. Not always that they create a huge amount of conflict, certainly not initially, but as the relationship progresses and over time, the problems start to feel like a really strong theme in the relationship. Are there some common themes that couples do get stuck on in those ways? It can be pretty much anything. It can be really obvious things that are really common problems in relationships, finances, family parenting, all of those typical areas where you might see some conflict in the couple, but it can be more nuanced than that. It might be to do with particular political views or religious views. Certainly sex comes up as a perpetual problem and certainly something that I see a lot of in my clinic room, particularly couples who might have, say, a mismatched libido and sex has just consistently been a source of difference between them and that has felt really difficult to overcome. It is tricky if either party wants something different. Where do you go with that? There's not necessarily room to move. Someone's got a budge. We can't both have it our way. Both parties in the relationship will feel really strongly about whatever the problem is. What we usually find is that the reason why it is a source of tension and an area where lots of couples get gridlocked is because it's usually linked to something else that feels important to them. Underlying it is usually some sort of value or dream that they hold for themselves that then feels mismatched with their partner. You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec, I'm a woman, like, I have needs now. Whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and mm. I was like, oh my God. 
you may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Bert Newton. I wouldn't have been attracted to myself. <laughs> so they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable. It's a secret. Mind-blowing. Yeah, that makes sense why then it's hard to compromise if it's really comes down to that value level. Right, because you feel like you're then having to compromise on something that feels really important to you and that that can sometimes feel like you shouldn't have to do that in a relationship, that the other person should just get why something is so important to you and that some things are okay to compromise on how you like to eat or what you want to do on the weekend and that feels easier to compromise on whereas sometimes the bigger issues like how you spend your money or the sexual relationship that can feel uh, trickier to compromise on. Do you think it's about being a little bit incompatible then at that values level is why some couples might get stuck in this way? I'm not I would refer to it as incompatibility because it's certainly not a deal breaker necessarily, certainly not from a therapy perspective anyways. It's not as though if somebody comes in with two opposing views on something that you would say that they are incompatible. It's more about how they communicate about it. Yes, there are some things that probably do feel more incompatible. For example, if somebody has a particular set of religious views and want to raise their children under that religious rules, and the other party might feel as though that would be a complete breach of their own values, then that could feel more incompatible. Somebody's going to have to budge there and depending on where you sit on that spectrum of feeling as though the issue is really important then it would depend on how that would go most of the time it's actually more of a communication issue the perpetual problem that has come up there is this constant seeking to problem solve trying to resolve it which is where that conflict comes from because it feels too difficult to problem solve or there might not be an obvious problem solve Every time the couple gets into a conversation about it and then it ends in conflict, usually with that conflict comes what in Gottman therapy we refer to as the four horsemen, which is criticism, defence, stonewalling and contempt. Usually then when those factors start to come in, it feels trickier to even broach the subject because it results in such hurt. Yes, and then when they do broach it again, they're actually carrying all that resentment and hurt with them into the next conversation. Right. And a lot of the time what comes up with those horsemen is that it feels more of a character assassination. All of a sudden, this person who you feel is meant to love you and be on your side feels like they're on the complete opposing side to you. You go into opposition with them and treat the conversation as though it is an opposing game. You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec. I'm a woman. Like, I have needs now. whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and mm. I was like, oh my God. 
you may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Bert Newton. I wouldn't have been attracted to myself. <laughs> so they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable. It's a secret. Mind-blowing. What would be a better way to go about resolving perpetual problems or even if not resolving, of just approaching and working through them? Certainly in the therapy room, we try to avoid problem solving. That's usually the stuck point is that there's tried to be a problem solve, it hasn't worked, and then there's just conflict constantly that's coming up around the issue and then that makes that sense of opposition become even more entrenched. We certainly try to stay away from problem solving. And like with pretty much any other issue, we first start with a listener and speaker, trying to get each person to really listen to the other person's responses, trying to coach the listener in how to ask questions of the other party so that they can understand them more. Things like asking questions, why is this so important to you? Or what value is this issue linked to for you? to try to then uncover what is the actual value or dream that is behind the problem itself. So much easier to feel compassion and empathy and connection with the other person. Especially if the relationship is overall what we would consider a healthy relationship, free from abuse, there's not that kind of power dynamic going on. Most issues can be resolved through good communication and conflict skills, really being able to slow it down. And, and probably in our world, we're, we're all not very good at listening. You know, I often tell my clients I had to go to uni for four years to learn how to listen. And then even so, my husband will tell you that I'm not always a great listener. It doesn't come naturally to us. We're usually not taught to listen. They core skill from childhood. It's actually a core skill in relationships that we really need to have for the relationship to feel well. Starting from that place of really setting aside your own agenda, setting aside your own view, shelving it for a moment and really trying to hear what your partner has to say, why this issue is important to them, what it's linked to for them. In a loving relationship, we usually want our partner to do well in life. We want to support them. We want to honour their dreams. We really want to support them to be able to have that is important to them. So once that is elicited and we can understand why this issue is so important, that usually brings some new willingness to actually work through and, and try to find a workable solution. But without listening and having that willingness to honour your partner's dreams, then that's when it becomes stuck and unworkable. We first have to have those skills. I like what you said about even with all your skills and uni and you do this for a job that sometimes perhaps your husband wouldn't necessarily say that you're a good listener. A gentleman came to me for counselling years ago and his job was teaching organisations mediation but in his relationship he was having a lot of conflict and really just understanding that often when we're in a workplace or other mm. situations in our life you're not as emotionally invested but as soon as you become unregulated, triggered, really take it personally, it's very hard to use the skills, even if you do have them. 
exactly, because even when we have trained listening skills, we're still human. And as soon as, as somebody feels as though they're against you, that you're not feeling seen or heard, then that triggers us. We start to feel like we're under attack. And so therefore we'll do usually one of two things. We will usually either try to exit the conversation, which can sometimes actually end us in a what we call an avoidance cycle, where the conversation feels so difficult so we don't bring it up. And if it is brought up, we will try and get out of it. Then it just never gets spoken about. Or the other thing that we do is really lean in and actually fight. We'll take out all measures to try to get our point across. Sometimes that results in becoming louder, saying the same things over and over. And if that's still not working, because let's face it, when does that work? The other person will still not see or hear us. We end up becoming completely flooded. And that's when we tend to say things that we really don't mean. We tend to question the validity of the relationship. Lots of couples will start to talk about separation at that point. Maybe we shouldn't be together. And it's really coming from a place of trigger and distress rather than from a genuine feeling as though you're incompatible. You're listening to The Evolution of Intimacy. And my guest is Kristen Campbell. We're talking about perpetual problems in relationships, especially if it's gone on for years and there has been a lot of awful things said when you're in the height of that interaction that you just described. It can be difficult then to actually stop and say, you know what, we're going to actually listen to each other more deeply and really understand this. It's hard to put what's happened around it behind. Do you think that there's still a chance for most couples? Any relationship, no matter what has happened, is workable as long as both persons are willing and able to actually commit to working on it. If both people genuinely show up, genuinely want the relationship to do well, and are willing to actually sit in that vulnerable place of accepting that they might not be the only right one, then they can actually show up and start to learn how to listen, learn how to hear and validate their partner's experience, start to then find some ways to help their partner achieve their dream. I love how you put that, not the only right one, because it does become a bit of a competition, one's right, one's wrong. Can they both be right? Is there a space where they can actually meet and understand conflicting views but still as valid? I'm sure that you would be the same that this is lesson 101 in couples therapy is that not one person is right. They're both right. They both both are right and valid and true in their experience. And often couples are just quite baffled to try to understand that concept because they've been so stuck in trying to persuade their partner to come over onto their side because theirs is the right side. It's really quite disarming to sit in that knowledge that, oh, okay, I'm right, but so is my partner. Say it goes well, both people are listening, understanding the dream beneath the conflict of the perpetual problem. Yet two views, for example, each feels really strongly about where their child goes to school and it's an opposing point of view. How do you support couples when it is just a full gridlock like that, even if they can hear each other? Mm. That's a tricky one because when there is such a tangible outcome, at the end of the day, it does come back to what is each person's dream for their child and really trying to flesh that out. When you actually nut out what are the core needs for each 
person. We actually find that they are shared core needs. In Gottman therapy, we talk about the compromised donor. In the middle of the donor is our core needs. They're the things that we cannot negotiate on. They are usually linked to the values and dreams. On the outside of the donor, it's the areas of flexibility. A lot of the time when we do this exercise, in the case of where to send your child to school, it might be to do with education opportunity, social networking, learning style. Usually, both parties hold those same values. It's just that they're actually fighting on the areas of flexibility. When we nut that out and discover what is it that feels so important about one school versus another, what are the values that that school might represent, usually there is some flexibility there. And once we actually discover, oh, okay, this person wants the same thing as me from values, I can get on board with those values too. All of a sudden, that tangible choice feels a bit more flexible. That would be a much more bonding, connected conversation compared to continuing to just talk about the details without really understanding that you want the same thing at the end of the day. Mm. Right, right. Kristen, any final tips or anything that you might suggest to couples that are listening today and think, oh my gosh, that's us, we are really stuck on some perpetual problems? I think my takeaway advice would be that all anybody really wants in this world is to feel seen and heard. That's all most of us actually need. The first step to that is really trying to listen, listen without an agenda. Mm. And trusting that you will get your turn. You'll get your turn to speak your piece and be heard as well. By actually starting committing to listening and hearing and seeing your partner, that starts to shift that culture in the relationship so that issues that have been really unworkable, they become much more workable because we understand why the other person feels as strongly as they do. Thank you so much, Kristen. It's been super helpful and I'm sure lots of our listeners will be really getting inspired by what you say to get out of that pattern. Thank you again. Thanks so much, Ella. You've been listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon. We're feeling juicy the whole day. Every desire I could possibly think of. What sort of impact would it have? They want it, they're going to go and get it. They don't think of long-term consequences. Oh, did that feel really nice? Oh, yes, that felt really delicious. Being able to feel good about my body again, that's been a huge thing. All anybody really wants in this world is to feel seen and heard. We actually do have a lot that connects us physically. It's making people feel good. There is a real sense of hopefulness that returns in a relationship. A really beautiful thing. Take that beauty and that calmness and that bliss and that sense of peace out into the world. Thank you for listening and I hope we've inspired you with our juicy conversations on this episode of The Evolution of Intimacy. 
If you would like to go deeper, you can book a session of relationship counselling, sex therapy or individual counselling via my website. I work in person in Cairns, tropical far north Queensland, or I can meet you online anywhere in the world. Or you might prefer to go at your own pace with my 12 lesson relationship and intimacy online course. To book or to listen to previous episodes, visit my website, ellashannon.com, or follow me on the socials at Evolution of Intimacy. Finally, please go to iTunes and write me a quick review if you're feeling kind. Thank you, lovelies, and see you next time. This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1.